Gladiator. Uh, it's a story about a Spanish general named Maximus. And Maximus commands one of the Roman armies. And Maximus finds himself, through a series of unfortunate events, finds himself sold into slavery. And so when I think about his story, it reminds me just a little bit of the story of Joseph. And how Joseph, things were going well for him, but he kind of crossed the wrong people. In his case, it was his brothers. And, uh, and then through a series of events, he's sold into slavery, and he finds himself someplace where he doesn't expect to be. But if you've ever seen the movie... Uh, there's a portion, a, a point in which uh, Maximus now becomes a gladiator. And so there he is fighting for his life in the Roman Colosseum. And so uh, we, we're reminded that the emperor of Rome has, the, uh, ha- has that power uh, to have a gladiator after they have been defeated in battle. Uh, that they could be finished off or that they could be granted mercy. And so he holds up that thumb and if he gives it a thumbs up, the gladiator's life is spared and he lives to fight another day. But then if he turns that thumb downward, he's saying, finish him off. And it's sort of a, a gruesome reminder of the sport that humans can make of, humans, of human life sometimes. But you think about it. In that moment, someone has the power to grant mercy. And so we're talking about mercy today, and I want us to take a look at uh, these words in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, beginning verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us, that we may live in His presence. It's on to acknowledge Him. As surely as the sun rises, He will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. The prophet here talking about how refreshing God can be, how God brings restoration. Then in verse 4, What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I kill you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The people would turn to God. They would know that they were in a place where they needed to reach out and cry out to God. And so they would do just that. 
And that is exactly what God would have them do. But here was the problem. Is that the people's the people's hearts never experienced any kind of deep or lasting change. That their love for God would evaporate the way the morning dew evaporates in the afternoon sun. Or in the, could say the morning sun, especially as hot as it's going to be this week, right? Uh, mid to late morning, there's no more dew to be found. And so that was the problem that, that the people had. And so God is calling out to them saying, listen, listen to the words of my prophet. My prophet is trying to tell you that, you know, you're giving me lip service. Your, your heart seemed to change, but they don't change in any deep, lasting way. And then you turn right back to the ways that you were before. I'm reminded once again that over periods of thousands of years, human nature doesn't really change that much. Haven't we in our lives experienced something like that probably? If we're honest with ourselves? That there are times when we know we've, we've not been living the way we should, and then we turn to God, but then that, that turning to God, maybe it evaporates. Or maybe it's in your relationship with someone in your life. Maybe you know what it's like to apologize to someone. Maybe you know what it's like to say you're sorry. But then you find yourself going back and repeating that same action or treating that person in the same way that you previously apologized for. And so it makes them feel like, well, that apology wasn't maybe as sincere as I thought it was. Because the behavior hasn't changed. I know I've been guilty of that. Now, I know, and I'm sure you could say it too, if it was you that had the microphone this morning, that when you issued that apology, you wanted to change, you meant to change, it was your sincere intention to change. But then sometimes deep-rooted change can be a struggle. And so the people of God would turn to Him, they would repent, but then that love that they had would sort of just kind of evaporate like a mist. And so talking about mercy this morning, and uh, you'll see a couple of slides that you've seen in the past when I've preached on this subject. The last time was about three and a half years ago. But I think it's helpful for us if we understand the difference between mercy and grace. Because grace is something... That, grace and mercy are terms that sometimes people think are synonymous with one another. And the definitions are a bit different. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve, it's unmerited favor. We didn't do anything to earn it, but someone just wants to give us something. They give us something because they love us. They give us something because they just want us to have it. 
And it's that moment where you say, oh, what, really? You did this for me? And you think to yourself, wow, I did absolutely nothing to deserve this. But it's through someone else's kindness they wanted us to have it. Have you ever just made something for someone, prepared a meal or something for someone? and then just took it to them, not because of anything that had happened in their life recently or anything that was going on in particular. They just did some random act of kindness. And so that's grace. But mercy is when you're guilty of something and the punishment is withheld. Now, what always comes to my mind is getting the speeding ticket. Now I know, I minister to a body of believers that have never, ever been pulled over. Ever. And so, uh, I know you might have trouble wrapping your minds around this example, but yeah, you're pulled over and you were eight miles over the speed limit or something like that. And then they they run your plate and they see that there's no outstanding warrants and they see that maybe, boy, you've not had a ticket in the last umpteen years. And so then they come and they say, okay, the reason I pulled you over is you were doing 63 and a 55. And need you to slow it down out there. You know, your, your record came back clean. And so, uh, you know, you've got your insurance, your registration, everything checks out. And so what does that benevolent law enforcement officer do from time to time? They say, hey, slow it down and be careful out there. Going to let you off with a warning. Now, if you're one of those folks that says, man, what are you talking about? I've never had a warning. I always had the citation. There was a time in my life that I knew what that was like, that I heard about warnings, but I'd never received them. And if you think to yourself right now, Greg, how many times have you been pulled over? I, I can't remember that. It, it's too many to count. Fortunately, I started slowing down the older I got, and so not much lately, only once, I think, since I've lived here in the last 11 years. So, and, and Hohenwald's finest let me off with a warning, so, uh, but there was a time when I was in my teens, my 20s, my 30s, where, yeah, I had a, a heavier foot than I should have. And I lived to tell the tale. But uh, but I know what it's like to get the citation. And then you're like, man, that's a lot of money to have nothing to show for it. And I also know what it's like then a couple of times to get off with that warning. I deserved the citation. But I didn't get the citation. I was shown what, church? I was shown mercy. And think about how many times God grants us mercy. How many times are we deserving of something because of our actions, our behavior, our thoughts, our desires, and yet God grants us mercy. I want us to look over in uh, Matthew chapter 9. 
and let's look for a moment at what Jesus uh, teaches us uh, about this subject. So in Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9, and this is going to be very familiar because we just talked about it last week. But this is uh, from Matthew's gospel, and so it ends a little differently. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so the question comes because the righteous of the day, these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, thought, why would you keep this kind of company? After all, you're supposed to surround yourself with righteous people, with good people. Why would you surround yourself with these people who are known sinners in our society? Talked some last week about tax collectors. I didn't get into the part about tax collectors, is that a little more research this week. Some of them were actually known to beat the people they were collecting taxes from. Some ancient non-biblical sources say that people collecting taxes on behalf of Rome were known if people couldn't pay their taxes, they would give them a whooping. And so it, you can easily understand why people would not really want to see these people coming down the street. And especially if they were someone like Matthew, who was one of them, was supposedly a God-fearing Jew who would work on behalf of Rome. It would be akin to people in World War II, let's say. The people in some places like, uh, like uh, Belgium or France. And then they were occupied by Nazi forces. And then there were those locals who then would help the Nazis out. And they would be sympathetic to the Nazis. And so you can imagine some other locals would say, how in the world could you help these people? And so now Jesus finds himself in the company of a lot of these people. Matthew's gives us the impression that there's, that Matthew's gospel says that there was a, a number of these people. And so uh, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And isn't it true, church, that it's often the people that are, oh, the term reprobate comes to mind. It's the scoundrels that often are able to get to that point where they know that they need Jesus. They're the ones who can readily put themselves in that mind to humble themselves. And unfortunately, it's often the religious people who can 
get a little pious. They can get a little holier than thou. And they're the ones who have trouble humbling themselves. And church family, we don't ever want to be those people who say, Ha, ha, ha! Man, look at them! Look at them! Look at the way they're living! Boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. When what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to go and love them. Because it is in loving them and showing love for them that we... I'm sorry, Vic. Vic held out his arms. All right. I was just in Vic's general direction when I held up my arms and he went, huh? So, again, meant to be funny. Sorry. So, where are we though? We're in that place where in order to build bridges, in order to build rapport, in order to have a conversation with people about the condition of their life, doesn't it help if we love them first? Church, doesn't it help if we love them first? Yeah. Because who responds to judgment? I'm not saying we just turn a blind eye to behavior, that we turn a blind eye to sin. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying we do what Jesus did. We're willing to associate with those people. We're willing to let our light shine in the dark places of this world. And that is exactly what Jesus said. Someone asked me about my bulletin article last week when I made that comment about we want this to be a hospital for sinners and not a country club for the righteous. And they said, but Greg, aren't we saved? You call it, I, I'm not sure I liked, I, I, you know, I like that term hospital for sinners. And that aren't we saved? Yes, we are saved. If we're children of God, baptized believers, whatever term we want to use. But aren't we still sinners? When we quit acknowledging that we are sinners, that's when we are in danger of being like the Pharisees. That's when we're in danger of not possessing enough humility to say each and every day, Lord Jesus, I need you. Because that's the kind of humility that he desires that we possess. And so Jesus then quotes from Hosea 6 here when he says, But go and learn what this means. The title of today's message. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Saying it's, it's, you know, you think that you're right, is what he's telling the Pharisees. You think you're right because of all your religious tradition. You think you're right because you check all the boxes. But he's saying, look at the condition of your hearts. You're not willing to show mercy to these many sinners and tax collectors that my disciples and me are gathered here with. So he tells them, you go and learn. 
And of course, what he really was doing here was shaming them because he's using scripture that they would have known. When he said those words, they would have known, mm, that's from Hosea. Because they knew the scriptures well. He's saying, you've got to dig into those scriptures and really learn what they mean. And so we look further in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 1 here. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have you would not have condemned the innocent. And so he goes back and uses these same words again. First he says, Go and learn what this means. And the second time he says, if you had learned. In other words, we've been here before, guys. And you're missing it. That human life is precious. And so if my guys are hungry, and it happens to be the Sabbath, then yeah, they're going to pull the heads of grain off the grain in the grain field, and they're going to pop those little kernels in their hand. Not the tastiest meal, I would imagine, but something that would do what they needed to be done to sustain life. And so Jesus makes a reference here once again to the Hebrew Scriptures. This time to 1 Samuel 21. David is at a place called Nob, and he is on the run from Saul, and he goes in, and he's alone, and the high priest sees him, and the high priest is startled, and he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, do you have any food? And he said, we only have the consecrated bread. That's all we've got. And then he stipulates, basically, I'll give it to you, but only if your men are in the right place to eat the consecrated bread. In other words, he, he stipulates, have they kept themselves from women? And David assures him, yes, I always make sure that my men have kept themselves from women before we set out on a mission. And so, so the men's bodies have not been defiled in any way. And so David takes the consecrated bread. Now in a perfect world, there would have been something besides the consecrated bread. 
But at this point, they needed to do what, church? Sustain life. And so Jesus is saying, yes, there are rules in place, but we break the rules when we need to sustain life. That you need to understand how important human life is. That you guys are missing the point. And so he calls them out once again and says, if you had learned, like I talked to you about this before, I said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And now he's basically saying, if you had learned what this means, mercy, not sacrifice, then we wouldn't be having this conversation yet again. It's a church family in the year of our Lord, 2023. Where does this fall for us? This idea of mercy, not sacrifice. Because we can be the kind of child of God who says, well, I'm a child of God because I am in the house of the Lord at the designated time. And then we can become falsely pious because of our church attendance. Or because that we act a certain way and associate with a certain people and we refuse to act a certain way and associate with certain people. And yes, our behavior matters. Absolutely. But Jesus is saying, you all, you need to understand that this is really about love. And when you love people, you are willing to show them mercy. You are willing to be forgiving. It doesn't mean you condone bad behavior. It just means that you're willing to associate with them. You're willing to show them in order to build those bridges as a means of helping them change their behavior, as a means of introducing them to Jesus. God desires mercy. He desires loving hearts more so than He desires people who check off all the religious boxes of the day. This is a picture that my friend Patrick Mead posted recently. And uh, he said that this woman's name is Helen Johnson. And she is from a place called Tarrant, Alabama. I had never heard of Tarrant, Alabama. But it's not far outside of Birmingham. I think it's in the same county, Jefferson County, that Birmingham is in. And so Helen Johnson was caught on camera stealing at a nearby Dollar General store. And so the police officer went to her and investigated and said, what did you steal? And she said, five eggs so I could feed my babies. You know what the police officer did? He took her back to the store. And he bought her groceries. Out of his pocket, he bought her groceries. 
And she said, no, 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 you can't do that. Started crying. And she said, this is too much that you've done for me. The police officer replied, sometimes we shouldn't apply the law, but must apply the humanity. The officer's name isn't mentioned. I'm sure he likes it that way. But church family, we could be the people that says, yeah, throw the book at Helen Johnson of Tarrant, Alabama. She's a thief. Nobody likes a thief. But the cop saw a woman who was doing what she had to do to feed her babies. Like the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ who picked grain on the Sabbath. Like the future King David, a man after God's own heart who entered the place of the high priest and said, yeah, I'll feed the consecrated bread to my men. Because the humanity is more important than the law. And so we need to be people who see other people as created in the image of God, the Almighty Father, just as much as we are. And when we can truly see people the way God sees people, then, and only then, will we start to be the people that God calls us to be. May God help us to be people who are willing to show mercy to people, no matter how wrong they have been. We let the Word of God have the last word today. James 2.13 There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. May God help us to be people who show mercy as we seek mercy from our Heavenly Father. If you are with us today, and you have not yet sought mercy from the Father, then we give you the opportunity. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. We're going to allow you to come down. And I'm going to ask you one simple question. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And with a simple yes, a simple affirmative response, then we make the waters of baptism available to you to rise from that watery grave a new creation once and for all. But if you're here this morning, child of God or not, and you've got something weighing on you and you would appreciate our prayers, we offer the invitation for that reason as well, that we will pray with you whatever that concern is. Let's stand.